listening to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I am Stacey Oristano. And I am Derek Phillips. And I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I played her husband, <laughs> Billy Riggins. Okay, you guys, we are actual in-real-life friends. Sometimes we want to strangle each other. And yeah, you'll probably get to hear that too. But um, we were married on TV, but real-life friends. Yeah, and we've known each other for, what, 16 years now? That's fast math. 16 years. Okay, wait, Derek, what are we doing here? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to rewatch Friday Night Lights episode by episode. So our assumption is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. Yeah, so there will be spoilers. So if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights. You can watch for free on NBC.com, or you can watch on streaming platforms like Netflix or Peacock TV. And if you have seen the show before, we hope you'll watch it again with us and rediscover the magic of Dylan, Texas. Because along the way, we'll tell you about our experience working on the show. We'll bring in some special guests, writers, directors, cast members. In fact, we already have our first guest booked. But to find out which cast member it is, you're going to have to keep listening. And every few weeks, we'll do audience participation episodes just to answer your burning questions. Send us your questions, your thoughts, anything you want to hear us talk about. Email us, cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com. That is cleareyesfullheartspod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Okay. Now, we're going to get into the rewatch portion a little later in the episode. But first, let's dive into some behind-the-scenes stories. Stacy, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> let's go. So I don't know when the last time you watched the pilot was, but this show, our podcast is about the show and is about uh, us doing a rewatch, essentially. And so you rewatched the show. I know this because you texted me uh, yesterday and said, I'm crying, I'm crying, I'm watching. That's me doing my interpretation, Stacey. She's like, I'm bawling my eyes out rewatching the pilot. So when's the last time you saw the pilot? Well, well over 10 years ago. And I yeah. and I never like actually sat down and watched it, watched it. I watched it in groups of people and I didn't really pay attention. Mm-hmm. I didn't really, I didn't, I wasn't a watcher of Friday Night Lights. I've seen probably mm-hmm. most of the first season on and off a little bit, but I, I wasn't like a, like a fan of the show. I was too close to it. I don't like watching myself. So honestly, for me, this is going to be a first time seeing yeah. the whole series. And I and I kid you not, I feel like I got to watch it because it's been over 10 years now. I got to watch the pilot the way that an audience member would. So removed. Yeah. I didn't remember a thing. And I got goosebumps. I gasped. I cried. I think, yeah. I think I'm a fan of Friday Night Lights. <laughs> well, I would hope so. So I watched the pilot again last night for the first time. And, well, I, I watched it last year. We did a- uh, uh, Oh yeah, a pandemic Zoom. Yeah, there was a pandemic Zoom with some, uh, I think it was me, Amy Teagarden, who plays uh, Julie, uh, Adrian Palicki, who plays Tyra, um, guys Charles, who played Smash, Brad Leland, who played Bud Garrity, uh, Buddy Garrity, uh, and Scott Porter, who plays Jason Street. But- um, you know, we, we were we were talking through the whole thing as well. So I, I haven't watched the pilot from beginning to end myself without distractions in, in probably twelve years. Yeah, and I was in the same boat last night. Uh, I watched it and cried for multiple different reasons. Cried because it was such a wonderful time in my life, and I, I miss all you guys so much. Uh, and, and cried for the the young man <laughs> that's in it. Oh my god, you old. look like a baby. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it, but then also, also just because it's, 
it's so well done. You know, it was really crazy to, to rewatch it. Uh, I get it now. People who want to come up to us and talk to us about the show and they're so filled with emotion and they're so excited about it. And I'm like, finally get it now. I'm ready to talk about yeah. it with that same new eyes and new vigor of this thing. God, it's so good. Well, this should be really interesting for you because – so I did watch every episode of the show and I love watching myself. That's not true either. I, I, actually, <laughs> I don't like watching myself either. I do it out of necessity just to make sure that my acting isn't terrible, but I, I mostly watch it and go, is that what I look like? Is that what I sound like? Is that how I move? Yeah. yeah uh, I hate it. You know, all the wonderful insecurities that, that actors have. This will be really interesting because the last time I watched the show beginning to end was when – I mean, I don't think I've watched the last episode since the last episode aired. Yeah, we're we're coming we're coming up on our fifteenth anniversary of uh, when the show dropped. So, how did you come to Friday Night Lights? What was your experience? How did you hear about this show? Here's how I heard about the show, you guys. Uh, Derek and I knew each other before before the show was even a thing. I was company manager at a theater, and we were doing a show called Take Me Out, which is about baseball players. We desperately wanted Derek Phillips to play one of the parts, the lead part, actually, the narrator. And so we, as a theater, went to him and asked him to do it. And he was like, guys, I would love to do this show. I just shot a pilot and I don't know if it's picked up yet. And I was like, oh, no way. What's it called? And you said Friday Night Lights. And I went, ugh, like the movie? <laughs> cut, uh, cut too. I didn't know that that's how you actually heard about uh, Friday Night Lights the, the first, first time. The first I but- ever heard about it was you saying that. But yeah, that's actually uh, exactly what my my agent said. My agent called me and she said, you know, you've got an audition for this show, Friday Night Lights. And I said, wait a minute, like like the movie? And she said, yeah. And I said, like the book? And she said, yeah. And I said, yeah, why would they make a movie or a TV show, Friday Night Lights? Uh, but I went on the audition. Uh, and actually, when I auditioned for the show um, – they were they weren't sure if they wanted Billy to be a brother or a father. Um, so there were actually older actors in there uh, to to audition for Billy, who was, you know, probably in his his mid forties and or fifties, and then they were like, maybe he's a brother. No, wait, I had no idea. Wasn't Billy Riggins based off the Tim McGraw character from the movie? Yeah, so Tim McGraw was in the movie, and my character was very loosely based on Tim McGraw's character. And Tim McGraw's character is actually in the book, and my character is loosely based on the character from the book as well. So, yeah, I, I auditioned uh, for the casting director that day, and she said, hey, can you – well, long and the short of it, I was broke living in Texas at that mm-hmm. point in time running a theater company. Uh, I had this audition for Friday Night Lights. I called a buddy of mine and said – who was living down in Austin and going to law school at University of Texas. And I said, hey – his name is Lance Curry. And I said, hey, Lance, uh, do you mind if I come down there and crash at your place? Because uh, I've got an audition tomorrow. And he said, I mean, you're welcome to crash. He said, but I'm literally living in a one-bedroom apartment and all I have is a recliner in my bed. You're not sleeping with me. <laughs> and uh, so I slept in his recliner that night, uh, had my audition – Got done with it, and the casting director said, hey, would you be willing to stick around till tomorrow because Peter Berg's going to be in town? And I said, of course. And uh, so I stuck around one more day, slept on Lance's recliner one more day, uh, and then went back in for the audition. And sure enough, you know, I was sitting outside, and this SUV pulled up, and, you know, Pete Berg jumped out along with uh, Sarah Aubrey, his producing partner. And uh, they came walking in, and I was like, so this is the real deal, like this – this is happening. And I went in, I auditioned for Pete and I got done and he goes, you're a really good actor. I said, thanks, man. He goes, where'd you get those boots? I said, I had these for a while. And he goes, if you get this part, bring those boots. 
<laughs> and I said, okay. And then it was just kind of the waiting game. And I, uh, I hopped in my car and I was driving back to Dallas because I lived in Dallas at the time. And about halfway there, I got a phone call from my agent saying, uh, you've got a pin in you. Stop. Uh, it happened that fast. It happened that fast. Yeah. Probably two hours after I auditioned. That is, as an actor, I'm just going to say that is unfair. For, so for those of you who don't know, a pin is when uh, you've auditioned for a project and you're on the short list, essentially, of, of actors that they're considering for a role. Yeah. But I mean, I hadn't, I, I didn't get the job at that point, but I, uh, I got the phone call saying uh, that they're interested. Uh, we're waiting on studio and network approval. And so then I got back to my apartment. Uh, my roommate at the time was a guy named Steve Walters, who people who like Friday Night Lights might recognize as uh, a character named Glenn Reed. Glenn, the guidance counselor. Who comes into the show, I believe, in the second season yeah. of the show, I believe. Uh, and so, so for those of you at home, uh, look that up. You'll, you'll be able to find out who Steve Walters is. He's also our producer of this podcast. He is a producer on this podcast. So, and one of my best friends on the planet. Uh, so I got back to my apartment and Steve, who had read through my audition with me beforehand was like, dude, you're going to book this. And I was like, I don't know that I'm going to book it, but so now we're sitting there and I'm like, I'm going to book this, I think. I'm waiting on studio and network approval. And Steve and I were like throwing a football back and forth in the apartment. He's like, what are you going to do if you get this? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. This could be a life changer. This could be a game changer. Uh, as we're throwing the football back and forth and the phone rings and it's my agent and she goes, hey, uh, it's yours. It's your job. And I'm like, awesome. And she's like, but they need you to shoot tomorrow. So you need to go back to Austin. <laughs> so oh I literally got God. back in my car. Uh, had to borrow money, if I, I believe from Steve, to get back down to – I mean, this is how poor I was, guys. I was so broke that I had to borrow money to get down to Austin to begin with, only to sleep on a, a, a recliner. And then I believe Steve lent me money to get back down to Austin. But they put you uh, up this time, yeah? Yes. And the minute you get there, there's per diem. And from that point on, I oh, had man, money in my pocket. Oh, man, you get handed an envelope full of cash, guys. It's the best thing in the world. <laughs> it really is. Uh, so I got my per diem and then I was good for the next couple of weeks. I think per diem is $75 a day or something like that for actors. But your housing's paid for, you're on set and you're eating. So, you know. You how, long, <laughs> how long were you there for when you shot the pilot? Uh, three weeks, I believe. Holy. In February yeah, of 2006. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what did you know about it going into it? Who the character was, who what your relationship was. All I knew uh going into it, and this is so funny, it's it's so weird in hindsight, but I I a lot of the younger actors I'd never heard of, they, they didn't have any IMDb credits to look up really. And so I knew who Connie Britton was uh because of the movie and also because of, of Spin City. And, uh, and then Kyle Chandler, I was like, that's to, to me at that point in time, I'm going, well, that's kind of an odd choice. That's the guy from that, that cat show with the news. Uh, he was on a show called early edition back in the day. Right. And then um, he got blown up on Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. But I didn't watch Grey's at that point in time. And so, um, from my perspective, I'm like, you know, they got this really good looking guy. What, everything I could find online about everyone that was cast was that everyone was really good looking. They're so pretty. <laughs> And I was like, oh, this is going to be like some teeny bopper show with a bunch of pretty people, you know? Um, but I was still excited about it, but I, di I didn't think it was going to be what it became. And if you know anything about Peter Berg and the way he writes, his scripts are, are kind of like outlines, you know? I'll be honest with you. The first day I was on set, we improved my whole entire first scene. My first scene is not scripted. 
so it's you just don't know and that's kind of the the beauty of Pete Berg, you know. Now the show itself was very different than that. The show, you know, we we improved a lot on the show, but it was definitely very scripted. But I, I feel like the way Pete works is Pete would yell things out in the middle of a take, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could tell you my, my first day on set, I, I literally I showed up to set and uh, we're shooting this scene, and I walk in, and and Taylor's character is supposed to be in bed with uh, Adrian's character. So Tim and, and uh, Tyra are laying in bed together and I come walking in and I go, you got to get up. And I dump a bowl of cereal on his head. And uh, uh, Tyra was, had pasties on. Um, there was a, a woman that was with me that we were saying was my wife. Stacy, you wouldn't have existed if we'd have gone with what we originally shot. Can you shot. imagine? Yeah. So I just we shot got this really jealous for a this, second. Yeah, you should get jealous. <laughs> All I remember is I was wearing tighty whiteies, like super tight. And Taylor and and uh, Annie were laughing because I have like chicken legs, and they were like, "Oh my god!" Taylor's going, "Oh my god, man, what are you wearing?" <laughs> <laughs> so that wasn't the first she- scene that we shot, though. The first scene that we shot, Pete, I walk in and Pete goes, "Hey, man, so we're just going to improv this scene real quick," and that's the scene that we wound up keeping was, you know, me walking in and saying, uh, "You got to get up, little brother." And I say something like 49 players on the move. Uh, this isn't Maxim Magazine. And Annie comes and lays on top of, of Taylor. Uh, but that's the scene that we kept was the improv scene. And the scene that was scripted never saw the light of day. I've never even seen hey, it. I just want to say thank you for knocking that one out of the park. Because it uh, it opened up doors for me later. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how different would both of our lives have been if, if, I don't, if I you can't, weren't I my wife on this show? It. Spoiler alert. She becomes my wife. Oh, guys. Season uh, three. Hey, so how <laughs> how long between after you shot the pilot did you have to wait before you knew that you were picked up? So we uh, we shot the pilot late February, early March of 2006, and we didn't find out that the show was a go until mid-May of, of that same year, 2006. Uh, they do a thing called upfronts, and upfronts are uh, when the, the networks uh, announce the shows that are going to be slated for their new seasons. Uh, and they, they do that in May, usually in New York, uh, t- to kind of – <clears throat> let the advertisers know what their new season is going to look like. Right. So the show's been picked up, but I don't. I don't think I found out that I was still involved in a part of it until I want to say uh, maybe like ju- July. Um, and it wasn't. It they they started running like a, a, a commercial or, or like a uh, there was a trailer for the show after the upfronts, and I was in the trailer, and I was like, okay, that's <laughs> a good sign. I'm still in it. They haven't cut me and they haven't recast my part. Uh, that does that doesn't mean anything, you know. That's the joy of an actor. Like you're just kind of. You never condition- know. I will tell the story of how I got on the show a little bit later. I come in in episode seven, but the thing about the timing of it was, I was there for two weeks, and it was at exact same time that the pilot aired on NBC. So I got to watch the pilot with the whole cast and crew. Yeah, this is correct. I remember that very, very well. I just remember – I remember that day and that moment like it was yesterday because I was standing next to Palicki and we're watching it and, you know, the the opening credits come up or, or whatever. I don't even know if there were opening credits. I think it just starts. It starts. It goes, starts. You, get that, you get that title card and it just says Monday. Yeah. 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 And it, it came on and the scene with Annie and I popped up, uh, Taylor, Annie, and I, and Annie grabbed my arm and she goes – we're on TV. <laughs> and it was just, uh, yeah, it was just such a special moment. I'd been in this business at that point for 10 years, and this was, you know, a huge, a huge get for me. 
This is the uh, first time I've ever been on camera. This is my first t- my first TV yeah. thing. So like, yeah. I remember from the premiere party I was watching with Zach Guilford and he grabbed my arm and he goes, you're about to hear the grossest, wettest kiss ever on network TV. And it was Street and Lila <laughs> when they do their kissing scene. And it is, oh, nice. it is very wet. I say let's get into the episode. Guys, pilot, Friday Night Lights, written directed by Peter Berg, DP David Boyd, executive producers Brian Grazer and David Nevins. Here's what IMDb says about our synopsis. New head coach Eric Taylor finds his every move scrutinized as he takes over leadership of Texas' number one high school football team. Which I guess, like, big picture, that's kind of it. There's a whole lot more to this show than that. But sure, yeah, we can start there. How did they not hire you to do the the commercials for this? Uh, I mean, like you should have been doing voiceover work with it. Yeah, takes takes over Friday night. Like, but that's exactly like how right. the show starts, though. We start with all of these radio announcers talking about this is the this is the big yeah, game. We jump right in, I believe, with Slam and Sammy Mead uh, talking about. Like, how I can't Coach believe you remember that name. <laughs> yeah, man, Slam. How could you forget Slam, Slam and Sammy. Sammy Mead? Well, you don't know Slam and Sammy Mead because you haven't watched the show, Stacy. There's there's, uh, there's that. There's that. Yeah, so we got Slam and Sammy Mead basically coming right in, telling us that uh, you know Coach Taylor is. Are we should we believe the hype, or is this team as good as everyone uh, says they are? Right. So he's finally head coach after six years. Yeah, Oof. which is something that uh, rewatching the pilot, I'm like, oh, that's right, that's I right. He was uh, Jason that. Streets. He was Jason Streets' quarterback coach all through Pee Wee, and and so Pee Wee. Yeah, so I mean, Coach Taylor's kind of riding the Jason Street coattails, you know. Ooh. He's he's kind of fallen, pardon my French, ass backwards into a great position as a head coach. Yeah. He's got the number one quarterback in the country. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> what could what could possibly go wrong? And guys, there's um, Notre Dame out there scouting for Street already, calling him, I guess, the best player in the country. The thing about this opening pilot, we open and it says Monday, and there's just those. Like over the with the radio announcers, these just pictures of Texas, of small town Texas. And I I feel like I knew from one minute in exactly where we were and what was happening just from the gorgeous pictures that they were showing. Well, you grew up in Texas. I sure did. And I went to college in Texas. So that was one of the things that was something that's really interesting, too, is that once the pilot got picked up, there was actually a discussion happening as to whether or not. Friday Night Lights would have been shot because they were trying to get tax incentives. And Texas was not sure if they wanted to give tax incentives at this point. There was a whole thing going on through the Texas legislature at that point in time. And there was actually discussion happening after we'd sh- we had shot the pilot already of Friday Night Lights being shot in California. No way. And I can't imagine this show having the success that it did, honest to God. If we would have shot in California, and that's not a slight on California at all. I love California. I live in California. There's nothing in California that looks like West Texas. Yeah, but um, that was something that was really interesting, too, is that they have a thing in football, like the the 12th man. Texas A&M has a a thing called the 12th man, which is, you know, there's 11 people on a football field, and the 12th man is the, the fans. And I would say the 12th man on Friday Night Lights was Texas. You may even, Derek, hey, I was number 10 on the call so sheet. Deep. I might have been 
the 12th man. And I, I love your shout out to tell us that you were number 10 on the call sheet. Guys, the call sheet is the thing that we get where we know where we're going to shoot the next day. And it has the actors listed like Kyle Chandler's number one and Connie Britton is number two. So now you guys know that Derek Phillips is always in forever. Number 10 I think on I was our number call 10. sheet. Friday I said that. <laughs> I might've been number 12, but Taylor Kitsch, uh, who played my brother, Tim, would probably tell you that I was like 85 on the call sheet. And I'm like, come on, man. Why do you have to be like that? Yeah. And when you're um, number one, it, you get to pull it out. Like if Kyle was having a bad day, he'd be like, yeah, I'm number one on the call sheet. Here's what we're going to do. He's like, yeah, you're the boss, man. <laughs> so yeah, Texas being the 12th man in this in this situation, I think, you know, because it's such a personality. I, I mean, get it. And I and I grew up in North Texas, but I'm telling you, Friday nights, the, the town closed and we would go to yeah. a football game. And the thing that we started during my senior year on game days during passing periods, they would play music over the speakers. And it was like, I have the tiger and I am the warrior. And just felt like you were walking through an eighties movie to get like pumped up for the game. It, the world shuts down for football. It does. It's crazy. And I mean, I'm telling you guys, it's that way. I have a good buddy of mine. His name is Mike Schrader, and he grew up in a small town called Riesel, Texas. And right after I had booked Friday Night Lights, and I was pretty sure that I was going to be back on the show, I said, Mike, I want to come down and spend a weekend with you in Riesel, Texas, just to see what this small... I'm from Miami originally. What do I know about small town Texas? You know. <laughs> so I went to Riesel, Texas with Mike Schrader, and we walked into a bar called The Crow's Nest, and I'm not kidding when I say that the music stopped. It was like, and these guys all turned around and looked at me like, who the hell is this city boy? And what the hell is he doing in here? There was that aspect of things. But this is a one light town where Mike grew up. And at one point we were walking into the gas station and there were two old guys sitting there in in lawn chairs at the gas station because it's, you know, the central hub of town. And uh, they go, well, I'll be damned. Is that Mike Schrader? And he goes, yes, sir. And he goes, well, I remember you back from that 1994 team when you boys made it to the state championship game. He goes, that was a season, was it not? And they're having this conversation. Mike, meanwhile, has a PhD at this point in time in his life. Uh, He's gone on to accomplish some pretty great things. But as far as the people of Riesel, Texas are concerned, Mike Schrader has done one thing well in his life, and that was play for the Riesel Indians. Um, here's a here's another thing about the the pilot that I had forgotten when they go um, into that first practice. I had completely forgotten how hungover Tim Riggins was. Yeah, and there's that yeah. there's the part where Coach just has him run drills where they just knock him over and then they knock oh, him over. And I was there that day watching it, and it was awful. I mean, these stunt doubles <laughs> were getting lit up. And Pete Berg uh, at one point, because there was a scene where I'm supposed to be watching from the stands. It's just a quick little cut. And I'm watching from the stands and Taylor's getting just destroyed on the field, but his stunt doubles are. And uh, uh, one of the stunt doubles got hurt and Pete Berg says, bring in another one. And the first AD came running over and was like, hey, uh, we only have three. Okay. For those of you that don't know what a first AD is, he's basically the guy that keeps us all on our toes and time-wise and make sure that we're getting the shots in order that we need. He's like the the loudest person on set that keeps everything in order. Yeah. So anyway, the first AD came running over and uh, he was like, hey, Pete, uh, we only have three stunt doubles. And he goes, what, what do you mean we only have three? He goes, for today? And he goes, no, we only have three for the whole show. And he's like, what the hell's going on? He's like, Pete, it's a TV show. It's not a movie. So oh my God. that's not to throw Pete under the bus, but I think that uh, those stunt doubles – Across the board, man, just those guys oh, made this show in a lot of respects. All day. Oh, all day. And some of the hits were nasty. There's and a 110 hit. degree heat. 
Yeah, they're rewatching that pilot. There's one where Smash goes running up the middle and there's a, a, a safety that comes in and tries to make a, a tackle on him. And he hits this guy so hard, the guy's legs go backwards and his head hits the back of the floor. And it's just, I mean, it, it lets you know right off the bat, Gaius Charles, Smash Williams is a bad mofo. Uh, super secret behind the scenes fact. Most of the guys are series regulars. Guys didn't play football except for Jesse Plemons, who plays Landry and isn't even on the football team. That guy had an This is arm. true. Scott, Scott Porter uh, played football in high school. He was a wide receiver, I believe. Straight? Uh, I didn't know that. Played... I just knew that he was like a musical theater guy and he that boy can sing Scott's and dance. a great athlete. Scott's <sighs> a great athlete. Taylor Kitsch, uh, Scott Porter, who played Street. Uh, uh, Taylor Kitsch, who played uh, Tim Riggins. Was also a great athlete, but Taylor Kitsch grew up in Canada and didn't play American football. Mm-hmm. Taylor Kitsch played hockey though, and supposedly, according to him, player. he's a, a really, really good hockey player. I would imagine. Um, and I've I don't seen him play it. golf, and he's, he's amazing. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a good athlete. Um, I played high school football, but well, I wasn't any good. Well, but I did play. Nobody ever asked me about my arm, and I can throw a cannon. I doubt it. I actually really can. Okay, so I just love right away that they're telling us exactly who these people are. And you can tell that Jason Street is the golden boy of that town, of this team. He's so polite and he's so sweet. And when he's with the little boys and he says that God and everybody likes football, I I want to smush his face. I love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's uh, the casting on the show I thought was perfect. Um, Peter Berg, who created the show, did an amazing job literally across the board casting everyone. Uh, I mean, so let's talk about that for a second. We've got uh, Coach Taylor, played by the incomparable Kyle Chandler, and Connie Britton, who plays uh, Coach's wife, uh, Tammy Taylor, who is, I mean, spectacular. She's like the epitome of the the Texas mom. and I think they say star power is when the opposite sex wants to date that person and the same sex wants to be them. Did you know, Derek, that Connie and Kyle road tripped to Texas from L.A. before shooting the pilot so they could get to know each other and find their chemistry? Yeah, I heard that. That's and crazy. I didn't mean chemistry to sound like that. So they could be friends and know what they were going to do. Yeah, so that they would have an idea of, of where to go with the show. But yeah, it was just, I, I mean, across the board, I just feel like the casting on this show is perfect. Uh, and then Scott Porter. Uh, who plays oh, Jason Street? Scooter. He does. He has that perfect face too. You just look at him and you. Tr- I trust him. I would give him my yeah. baby. <laughs> There's a scene. You got, um, Libby Valeri plays the um, the mayor of the town. She's kind of like Texas Gold, like as an mm-hmm. actress. She's so good, and she has that scene with Jason Street where she's like, "You're you're a really polite young man. You're a really nice young man. You got to stop that." That's like yeah, tells him to yeah. listen to Black Sabbath before the game. He's like, "Oh, okay." And I can't help but think that that moment was a Pete Berg yell out improv, like you listen to Black Sabbath, because I guarantee you that wasn't in the script. I'd have to go back and look, but but I can almost guarantee you. Yeah, I think so too, because Scott Porter goes, what? Oh, wait, what? You want me to yeah. what? Um, and then we've got uh, Lila Garrity, brilliantly played by Minka Kelly, who, I mean, just comes across as like the idyllic, they're the perfect couple. Uh, Jason Street and They're the and perfect couple. And their families and the, the difference between being at like Matt Saracen's house with Grandma Saracen yeah. and then going to Lila yeah. Garrity's house. And it's probably, it seems like it's opposite sides of the tracks in that town as far yeah, as and Lila, money goes. Lila's character comes from a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's probably a little bit, uh, you know, I don't want to say stuck up, but she's she's the cheerleader. She's mm-hmm. perfect. And I don't think anything bad has ever happened in the Garrity family at this point. You know, it's yes. kind of an idyllic 
uh, uh, family. And then we see Matt Saracen's life, and Matt Saracen's life is very different. Uh, right off the bat, we know that he's living with his grandmother. We don't know where mom and dad are. Um, makes you kind of question what's what's happening. We don't know much about Landry at this point either. We, we don't see we're his introduced family to Landry. at all. No, but we know that he's kind of the quirky outcast kid. He's very have... smart. He does do a little foreshadowing yes. that he says he wants to start a heavy metal Christian band. Yes, which I love. And I didn't even realize that that was in the pilot. I thought maybe that came a little bit later, yeah. later but he does say something about it like a speed metal yeah, uh, Christian, uh, band. Christian band or something. So we've already introduced, I already talked about my guy, mm-hmm. Billy Riggins, a little bit. But uh, let's talk about Tim Riggins. Tim Riggins played by Taylor Kitsch. I love it when he's doing his interview and he says, I just like to hurt people. Yeah. Yeah. So what we learn right off the bat, I mean, Tim is kind of a, a careless, a little bit reckless. We know he might have a bit of a drinking problem. He's moody, he's, uh, but he's also got untapped potential. And then you got a question right off the bat. Why the hell is this guy living with his brother? Where's mom and dad? Yeah, what happened? What's that about? And how does, I mean, how does a teenager get to have a girl at his place? They're drinking beer, yeah, spending the night, which tells us something about Tyra too, because Tyra got to spend the night over yeah, there. Like, what is exactly. what do her parents We're, say? About what that? kind of parents do these kids have? Ooh, and Texas. apparently, not good ones, because you know, in in I'm my character Billy Riggins is way too young to be his dad. So what's that about? So that was one of the things I loved about this pilot in general ac- across the board is that Pete just kind of said, "Here's some things." He didn't give yeah. you a lot of exposition. I mean, to this day, this is something that's kind of brilliant about this. Dad was introduced. We've never once had a, a conversation on Friday Night Lights. Taylor uh, Kitch, who played my brother, Tim, we used to talk about, where's mom? And it's never brought up. We never right. talk about our dad either at the Colette house. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know. We know mom is gone, but we don't know where she is. Yeah. yeah. It's the same. Oh, we're like the opposite. But Can there's I- a lot of things like that. We know uh, just th- what they call, they call that term exposition in terms of like a lot of pilots will be like, you're not my dad, you're my brother and you can't tell me what to do. We don't do that. And kind they of have stuff those conversations where if you were my brother and I'd be like, good to see your brother. Like nobody talks like yes. that in real life. Yes. It doesn't happen They here. do a lot of that on a lot of different shows. And one of the things that Friday Night Lights I thought did really, really well is we just kind of jump right in. And yeah, it's you, like, and you, ca- you catch up, you catch up when you catch up. You'll get there. Yeah. There's this girl like crawling on top of this guy and they're all in high school. That doesn't make any sense. How can they do that? Like we see Tyra that she's sort of jumping around from guy to guy. Mm-hmm. Boy, Adrian Palicki, she, she wears a lot of necklaces in this pilot. Yes. The pilot, she wears a lot of necklaces. She's got a lot of bling. <laughs> uh, that's something that's really interesting too, is just watching uh, the pilot and to see how things have kind of changed, knowing where the story ends up. And you've got these kind of broad strokes of who these characters are. Um, a lot of types, essentially. Yes. You know what I mean? It, it's it's somewhat surface level in the sense that all we know about these people is that they're types. You know, we've got the brooding guy. We've got the, the stud uh, uh, football player in Smash who um, – his his mom, or we know that his dad has passed away. We don't know much about him, but he's kind of full of himself, you know, a lot of ego. Ooh, really uh, fast. And, I had forgotten how good Gaius is. When he's up on stage doing his, like, yeah. um, pump up at the car dealership, oh, because Gaius, Gaius, the actor Gaius Charles who plays Smash, is he's like very shy and very quiet and went to seminary school. And to see him play that character, I, I, I yeah. get goosebumps thinking about it. He's so good. I mean, is there a character that's, 
I, I mean, that's that's a question I have. Is there uh, uh, an actor that is more different than their character on on a show on on this show? I mean, Gaius is like Gaius the polar to me is Gaius of, to me is the most different. Yeah, I mean, a lot of us are playing aspects of ourselves to a certain degree. Yes. You know, uh, I would argue that I was playing myself in a lot of Friday Night Lights at that point in time. But uh, I think Gaius might be the biggest character too, as far as like yeah. what he's portraying too. But oh man, I forgot I forgot how good he is. Yeah, he's great. Uh, and then, oh, yeah. we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up Buddy Garrity. Come uh, on. Buddy Garrity. Buddy I lo- Garrity. I love you, Brad Leland. Oh, uh, me too. He just brings such a, a, a genuine, unique Texas voice to this show. I mean, Brad, I, I used to joke with Brad that if you're going to do a film in Texas, I think that there's a writer that is put into any contract that you have to hire Brad Leland. Because um, he just, he epitomizes Texas to me. Okay, I have to tell you one of the one of the parts of the pilot that gave me absolute goosebumps. The party that they go to the night before the game. This is the line that Tim Riggin says: "Here's to God and football, and ten years from now, good friends living large in Texas, Texas forever." Which, like, I'm not going to give away the sport, like the end of the series, but like maybe they already knew exactly what they want to do. That I got goosebumps when he said that line. Here's another little interesting tidbit about that line. He said that line, and I, most people don't know this. Billy Riggins was at that party. <laughs> Billy Riggins got cut from that scene, and for good reason. So, uh, yeah, Tim because says you're that giving line. alcohol to minors. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was established that the party was happening at our place. Um, but I think we shot that in the backyard of the Riggins house. So it's almost like Billy was allowing this party to happen on a on a whatever night. So Tim says that line and just off camera, there's Billy Riggins. And I threw an empty beer can at him like, shut up, dork. Oh, that's after a, he said that's Texas actually Fred. hysterical. Thank God Pete Bird cut that and cut me out of the scene because <laughs> it was it just didn't need it. And it became this iconic moment, Texas, Texas Forever. Forever. And I, at the time, was like, from Billy's standpoint, I'm like, oh, you're, you're waxing philosophical, idiot. And I threw a beer can at him. It wasn't written that I throw the beer can at him. I, I just, I improv that. And, uh, you know, uh, I had a, a professor in college that used to say, uh, it's a bold choice, the wrong choice, but a bold choice. And I, <laughs> I think that's what that was. I improv that moment and Pete Berg probably saw it and said that was a bold choice. It was the wrong choice, but a bold choice. Guys, on set, when I was doing a scene with Derek, he this is uh, this is one of his favorite little things that he liked to do. He'd come real, real close to me, like in between takes, and he goes, Stace, I got a note from the director. He said, um, act better. Yes, I do. And then we would roll on the scene yes, every time. I do. Every time. I, I don't want you getting a big head. Just a general note, well, act better. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. Okay, so pilot, we get uh, the the title cards, and I think we're going straight into the game. It's Friday. Oh, and that was something I wanted to talk about. So I remember the marketing campaign, and I may be butchering this, but there was something along the lines of like, every day matters, but only one night counts, or every day counts, but only one night matters, Friday Night Lights. And it's obvious that from the get-go, when they were trying to start this series, they did a thing where it was like Monday, Uh Tuesday. Wednesday, and everything was going to lead up to Friday Night Lights. And obviously, once the show went, uh, Jason Kadams, 
who was the head writer on the show, said, you know what? I'm not – I think uh, we're putting ourselves in an impossible position where we're trying to have a five-act structure where every day – where we got to do something on Monday, something mm-hmm. on Tuesday, something on Wednesday, and then Thursday and then Friday. And that every episode ends with a game, you know? Yeah, you write yourself uh, into said, a I corner that way. They were writing themselves into a corner. So if you notice – I. I'll have to go back and check, but I believe they do the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they Friday do. thing again they do in it the in episode second two. episode. Yeah. But I think it's gone by the third episode. They also dropped a little bit of the shaky cam in third episode yes. because yes. they were getting a bit of feedback from the audience saying, I love your show, but it actually makes me a little physically ill, yeah. the shaky cam. Yeah. So we, we, it's still a little shaky, but it's not yeah. as shaky. I know that the point of that was to have like a documentary style feel, like mm-hmm. you're part of the the, the thing. And, and and I never had a problem with it, but I do know that there were people at home that were like, whoa, it's too much. And so they definitely toned down on the amount of uh, uh, shaky cam that was going on. It's not necessarily shaky cam. It's technically, shaky. it's, it's being handheld. handheld. It's a handheld camera. Yeah. I've, I've watched a lot of, of football movies. Mm-hmm. This football game was shot so well. And this sound editing and those helmets crashing helmets and players grunting. I felt like I was in it. I think part of the reason it works is because of those handheld cameras. I think that sometimes people, when they shoot like a football scene and I'm, I'm a diehard football fan, uh, they, they try to get too stylized with it. So the reason they do the handheld thing is it gives you this feel of like, you're there. Now we would have six cameras operating at any given time on, and sometimes more when we were doing a football scene. Yeah. When it was just a, a living room scene, it would probably be three cameras, almost always three cameras rolling at once, mm-hmm. which is very different than most shows. Most shows only do one camera at a time. Uh, but when we were doing the football stuff, we would have six cameras rolling, a lot of handheld shots. Uh, and a lot of times around the handheld, there would be two or three background actors circling the camera to give it like literally running around the camera and crossing the frame of the, of the lens uh, to give it this feel of motion. Like, so you feel like you're in the action and they'd be crossing right in front of the camera. So it'd just be like a quick swipe of a body moving past frame. I get that because so I, this- I've never been on a football field. I've never played yeah. football, but especially, I, I don't want to jump ahead, but like when we get to Matt Saracen being on the field and he's talking mm-hmm. about, I can't see my team. I can't see over the yeah. players. I was like, I never thought about that being yeah. a thing that happens during football, but I felt, yeah. I felt it. Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, once again, going back to the, that style that Peter Berg created on this show. Okay, so we're at the game. I think we yes. score We score the first touchdown. Things are looking good. Street's doing exactly what he needs to do and leading the team. But man, that other team, what are they? The Westerby Chaps? They are big yeah. fellas. Uh, I always used to joke that uh, if you took all the the, the stunt guys that, that were on our football team and actually put them on a high school football team, we would have the greatest football team in the history of high school sports. Uh, most of those guys, uh, went on to play some, a lot of them played professional ball. Yeah. Uh, but then the ones that didn't play professional ball at minimum played college ball. Really, really fast. You can attest to this. Cause I, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I was at football games, but never really on the field and you got to be on the field later. Yeah. Was there like a, a choreography that happened? Like almost like, cho- like doing a dance? Oh, 100%. I mean, all that stuff, they would, they would run these plays, uh, each week they, they would get together and have like a, a stunt practice basically like stunt rehearsals uh where they would run a certain amount of plays and so usually when you and i were gone when we were off having margaritas at the end of the night and they were going until five o'clock in the morning shooting yep. the actual football stuff that's when they would go full tilt and these guys would be knocking the tar out of each other God. at five o'clock in the morning and you guys you know? that don't live in texas it's 
so hot and we were shooting in the summer. Like sometimes it gets up to 110 degrees and they're in those pads and stuff. My God. Yeah, it was, those guys were, I mean, the unsung heroes of this show too. You look at what the, the stunt guys were doing on this show on a week to week and day to day basis. So I don't know if you know this, Stacy, but the guy who uh, plays the Westerby Chaps coach is actually our stunt coordinator for the pilot. His name was Alan Graff. And Alan Graff is a character. Alan Graff is like a former <laughs> offensive lineman from UFC, uh, USC uh, back in like the, I want to say 70s or something. And he'll be the first one to tell you, you know that scene in Trading Places where the bus flips over 13 times? That was me. I did that. He talked like he'd been chewing on nails his whole why entire life. Why can't he breathe? Why isn't he breathing? I don't know why he can't breathe. <laughs> My first day on set for Friday Night Lights, I come walking up and there's a thing called Video Village. And this is where everyone watches playback of all the scenes. And uh, I was sitting in my trailer and I, you know, I was excited. I wanted to go to the set and see what was going on. So I went over to the base camp. Base camp is where we're all set up, you know, in our trailers. And I go over to one of the PAs and I said, hey, is it cool if I go over over to uh, set right now? I just want to watch what's going on. And they're like, yeah, I'll radio ahead and let them know that you're coming up. And I'm like, great. So I go up there and I walk over to Video Village and I'm sitting there in Video Village. And there's Alan Graff. And, you know, Alan Graff is gigantic. He's, you know. Six foot two, probably weighs 270 pounds. He looks Jeez. like a walrus. But the, the video monitors in Video Village weren't working. And he goes, damn it, can I get the damn video monitors up and running? This is terrible. What kind of bullshit, you know, operation is this? And he turns around and he looks at me and he goes, who the hell are you? And I go, what? And he goes, who the hell are you? And I go, uh, I'm, I'm Derek Phillips. And he goes, what? I go, I'm Derek Phillips, Billy Riggins. And he goes, are you in this scene? And I go, no. And he goes, get the hell out of my tent. So that was my first introduction to Alan Graff, who I got to work with again on 42. And we had such a lot. Oh, time I love together. Oh, no way. That's <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah, really fast. While we're talking about coaches, there's a little cameo by Mac Brown, who plays one of the boosters that's in uh, Coach's ear at the car lot. Mac Brown was at the time head coach of UT. I think he's back in North Carolina now. This is correct. Shout out cameo. Okay, guys, we're here. Pivotal moment. Of this of this episode of the pilot, the game is getting rough. People are getting knocked around. Oh, there's an interception, and the only person that can stop this interception from becoming a touchdown is Street, and he takes that hit. Here's a question: Did anyone see that coming? I mean, I remember reading it and being like, "What?" I can't what imagine happened? you would know that was this story. I'd love to hear what our listeners think. Let us know. You guys can email us uh, because we do want to hear your thoughts and we want to be able to answer your questions. You can email us at cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com. Once again, that's cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com. So I, knowing the story like I do, I gasped audibly. So I can't yeah. imagine watching it not knowing that was happening because it's that hit and the hit is so good and then everything goes silent. Yeah. And you just see, like, it's just eyeballs. We see everybody's eyeballs watching the field. His mom, his dad, Tyra, coach, everybody. That moment was so eerie to shoot, too, because we're at that point in time, I think we probably had about 2,000 uh, background actors in the stands and all of us in the stands. And just dead silence. You could hear a pin drop when we were shooting that. Uh, and then, yeah, and then we hear Lila. You, yeah, Lila's voice just Her voice pierces just pierces out, out. That just cry. Through all of it. You hear um, Riggins throws a streeter in there, too. There's just, like, ri oh. random voices that get thrown in. So here's the yeah. thing. We're talking about Jason being this golden boy and so polite. They call out the field doctors and they call out paramedics, and he can still talk. Yeah. He can talk. And the, you see the fear in his eyes as he's, like, talking to them, and he's saying that he's moving his foot. And then they strap him to the backboard, and he says, 
thank you. Yeah, he that moment them kills for putting me. Him on guts the me every time. Yeah. I was a mess. Yeah. I think he's saying like, thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. You're going to make me cry, Stacy. So It's so, it's so good. But then here's what happens. Like he goes, he, his family go to the hospital. The game has to go on. And I yeah. think the ref, the ref brings the guys on Bring field. The and he's like, talks about hit. What does he say? Hit only what you can see or something. Yeah, hit only what you can about, see. About like this game, we're playing a clean game going forward. They bring in Matt Saracen, man. Matt Saracen, who definitely never thought he was going to throw a football. Coach Taylor says something like, uh, captains, hey, Saracen, yeah. quarterback's captain. And it's like this moment and you're like, this guy, this guy's even, going in? Even Grandma Saracen from the stands goes, oh, God. Yeah. Like, oh, oh please, no, this not moment, him. moment, you're like, this guy, he's not, he's not a leader of men, you know? Uh, man. And then he's calling the first play and smash, like, Tells him correctly how to do it. I yeah, think he throws his first football into a ref on the field. It's going yeah. terribly. Hits a dude in the back of the head, back of the helmet, one of his own linemen. Oh, it's a mess. Here's the thing about while we're doing that. I talk about the sound editing in this yeah. pilot is so, so good. There's the bone saw cutting into that football helmet. Mm-hmm. Goosebumps, chills. Yeah. This, yeah. Just this, and you know what's going to happen. While the game is happening, what's happening to Jason Street at the exact same time? That whole sequence, this whole entire it, it was it was interesting to watch it again last night with fresh eyes. That whole sequence on an editing level is superb. I mean, from the it's sound masterful. editing to the editing to I mean to the music that's slowly being played underneath all of it, but the cuts, every one of those cuts is just perfect. And then things start to pick up. Yeah, Saracen all of a sudden, wait. Finally, like, oh, hey, maybe this kid's a football player after all. There's that final, his the the last play of the game, and he shoots that cannon. And it's almost like, again, I'm not doing any spoilers, but boy, do we have that same shot in the series finale where you're just watching a football and you're like, hope it goes somewhere good. Yeah. Boom, touchdown. Panthers it. win. Panthers win. But again, but it's still not like a celebration. No, because they we know, still know what happens yes. now. We have yeah. to find out how straight it is. So they get on the field. Um, smashed as a prayer, mm-hmm. and then everybody goes to the hospital. Yeah, and then yeah. there's a, there's the little moments that the camera catches while we're there. Um, Riggins and Smash chest bump each other like brothers again. Apology. There's things more important than our our feud. Yeah, and then Coach walks around the corner, and it's just dead silent. You see his eyes, and you see him see something, and then the camera turns around, and we see Jason Street on the bed with a halo. Yeah, meaning he's he's been paralyzed. Yeah. Shout out really fast, Mark Nutter and Catherine Willis, who play Mr. and Mrs. Street. They're amazing. So good. With with not much to do. That's a lot of um just faces for them. We're we're watching them react to the expression on Catherine's so face in that hospital room just gets me every time too. Cause I can't I can't even imagine what a parent would feel like with their child there. You know? Their their golden boy, who his his trajectory in the future had been laid out from him yeah. from the time he was four. Yeah. It's crushed, and everything at this point has been turned upside down. And the whole show is turned upside down. We thought we knew what this was, and then now, wait a 100%. minute, one hundred. We just put our our superstar golden boy in a wheelchair. Now we don't know that he's in a wheelchair at this point, but I think we can guess that as an audience, like oh. But surely there's going to be some miraculous recovery, right? You can't have a guy. Right. In we'll, wa- we'll watch him start to learn to walk again. Exactly. And- nope. 
No. So the very, very last, the very last moment of the show, Coach walks over to the bed and puts his hand right into Street's hand, and then that's it. Yeah. Now a little, a little backstory on that moment uh, is that when Peter Berg was doing research for the film Friday Night Lights, he went to a Texas high school football game, and uh, as he was watching the game, there was a kid who was injured, and the kid wound up breaking his neck and was paralyzed. And Pete Berg saw that moment. And, Whoa. and I think that, I mean, I, I don't think I know that that's where the Jason street character came from. And I know that Pete was very adamant that, you know, we're not going to throw in some Hollywood fix to this, you know, uh, the bottom line is th- these things happen and people have to live with it. Uh, and, and that's one of the, one of the things that, that, is really beautiful about this show is is how all these characters have to overcome odds and and uh, these these things that are in their way throughout the throughout the series and that's Jason Street's hurdle. Guys, you're getting a lot of uh, behind the scenes stories from us going forward. We'll have some special guests on that are going to have stories that Derek and I have never even heard of before. Exciting stuff. Okay, guys, that is it for our very first episode. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope that you'll join us next time when we announce our very special first guest. But to find out who that special guest is, you're going to have to tune into episode two, Eyes Wide Open. So until next time, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Mandy Wimmer. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. And find us on social media. I'm at Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites cadence13.com and blackbarrelmedia.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.